It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW, Sitka. Today is Thursday, May 19th, 2022. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this is Raven News. Hundreds of hours of audio from an unlikely historical source are now archived on the internet and available for anyone to listen to. Southeast Native Radio was broadcast over KTOO in Juneau for 16 years, from 1985 to 2001. The volunteer-produced show played as current affairs at the time, but 21 years later, it's become a window into the lives of the people and events that shaped Native culture in the region over the last century. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. Long before podcasts were a thing, people were talking, sharing ideas and stories over public radio. And there are few shows with a track record like Southeast Native Radio. Good evening and welcome to Southeast Native Radio. My name is Kathy Kolkhorst-Ruddy. This evening we'll be discussing the Battle of Sitka in 1804. And with me in the studio is Andy Hope, the nephew of Kiksati Survival March organizer Herb Hope, and Dick and Nora Danhauer of the Sealaska Heritage Foundation, who are at, at work on a book about the Battle of Sitka in 1804. If that sounds like something you'd like to listen to, you're in luck. The catalog of recordings is lengthy and populated with names that make it a who's who of Southeast Native culture at the turn of the 21st century. Nora Marks Downhauer, for example, was a leading Tlingit language scholar and historian, as well as Alaska's poet laureate. She died in 2017, but her words are now just a click away. Here, she's talking about the oral history sources she used in researching the Battle of Sitka from a Tlingit perspective. Well, I guess uh, what the difference would be is uh, they're from the people of the other side, the Europeans battled the uh, native people who were on the beach fighting them back. The Southeast Native Radio Archive is available through the Sealaska Heritage Institute, which received the donated cassette tapes, reel-to-reels, and CDs from KTOO in 2010. In all, there are 400 recordings. Even the most seemingly mundane shows are abuzz with history, because the people represent a generational bridge to an even deeper past. This is Roy Pratovich, husband of Elizabeth Pratovich, yes, that Elizabeth Pratovich, talking about the first of five times he was elected Grand President of the Alaska Native Brotherhood. When you're young, you do a lot of foolish this things. Is this 1929? No, this is in, in the 39. 39, okay. And so uh, I told the group, I just... If we are going to build up this a and we're going to have to do it big. Pride is going to help us. Not knowing some screwball would nominate me for grand president, so, so I got elected. Pradovich died in 1989, a year after this appearance on Southeast Native Radio. And there's basketball, which is a large thread in the cultural fabric of Southeast Alaska. One of the stars of the annual gold medal tournament was Sitkin Herb Didrikson. He told Southeast Native Radio that the Sitka team had to catch a ride on a seine boat each March for the trip to Juneau. I was the last one to get on, but as I started to put my gear up in the top bunk, I found this uh, old man was laying up there already. Uh, he he kind of got on board a little early, and no one knew that he was there, so he was kind of a stowaway, you know? <laughs> so we figured, well, the old fellow wants to go and see some games, and uh, 
we all couldn't sleep at the same time. Uh, there was always a bunk open for us. So, A contemporary of his, Gil Truitt, played gold medal basketball through 1952, but Truitt's involvement continued for many years as the coach of the Sitka A&B team. He said the game had changed in that time. Uh, to me, what is more noticeable is the attitudes that I see on the floor compared to when we were playing. Uh, if you complained when we played and you were on the floor, the crowd wouldn't stand for it. They'd let you know that they were unhappy with your attitude. Is that right? I think that's the biggest change I see in uh, the times we played and in today. Truett died in 2020 at the age of 93. In its publicity, the Sea Alaska Heritage Institute refers to the archive as a treasure trove, and that's not far off. The recordings include a 13-part series produced in 1986 on the history of the ANB. There are also a number of Lingit language segments with fluent speakers like Downhauer and Walter Sobolev conversing on a range of subjects. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. You can find a link to the Southeast Native Radio Archive on our website, kcaw.org. Sitka's summer calendar is filling up, with many events returning in full force after a two-year hiatus for the COVID-19 pandemic. One of them is the Julie Hughes Triathlon. It's happening this Saturday. The triathlon is in its 38th consecutive year, in memory of Julie Hughes, who died of leukemia in 1985 at the age of 15. The same year, her parents Bill and Carol Hughes partnered with her swim coach, Suha Tokman, to hold the first annual race in her memory. Kevin Knox is an event organizer today. He says it was a lifelong dream of Hughes's to run a triathlon. A lot of people knew Julie as a very charismatic, very energetic young woman. Um, and uh, they just they wanted to honor uh, her legacy through doing this triathlon. The event is a fundraiser for the Sitka Cancer Survivors Network. Participants can choose either the long or short course, which begins at Blatchley Middle School. From there, runners head over the O'Connell Bridge to the Coast Guard Base and back before returning to the middle school to bike out Halibut Point Road. The final leg is a swim at the Blatchley Pool. For non-participants who want a bird's-eye view, Knox says the Blatchley Middle School parking lot is a great place to post up. You know, you get to watch the start of the run, you get to watch runners come in then, uh, and then transition to the bike. Uh, the transition area can be a really exciting spot to sit and, and watch people come in and out because uh, it's, you know, there's lots of action there. There's, you know, people, the teams are cheering each other on and, and others are cheering individuals on. So that's a, it's a really fun place to, uh, to be. Knox says the end of the race is always a good time when prizes are doled out to winners and the participants celebrate their accomplishments by sharing Hughes's favorite dessert, carrot cake. You can find a link to register for the triathlon on our website at kcaw.org. Tune in for our full interview with Knox on the morning interview this Friday at 8.16 a.m. Two bills that would tighten regulations on the group of chemicals known as PFAS are stalled in committee as Alaska's legislative session draws to a close. As Claire Strempel reports for KTOO, that would send lawmakers back to square one and leave clean water advocates high and dry for another year. PFAS have been linked to cancer, liver damage, fertility problems, asthma, and thyroid disease. Activists rallied for the bills at the Capitol last week. We're here for a call to action. Pamela Miller leads Alaska Community Action on Toxics. 
She's supporting the bills, introduced by Representative Sarah Hannon and Senator Jesse Keel, that would also limit the use of firefighting foams that are known to contain PFAS. So we think it's high time that these bills be passed to protect our Alaska communities. There are communities from the north slope of Alaska all the way down through southeast that have contaminated drinking water because of this dispersive use of these chemicals in industrial firefighting foams used on airports and on military bases. Sarah Thomas joined the rally to advocate for her hometown of Utkiavik, where firefighting foams at a naval base contaminated drinking water at Imikbuk Lake. I know too many people who have um, passed away from cancer in their 20s. Uh, people who have been on thyroid medication since they were teens, things that are not normal, and we're seeing way too much of it. Those foams were also the source of contamination around a state-run airport in Gustavus, where the state supplies bottled water to residents like Joanne Lesh, whose wells have been poisoned with toxic runoff. Okay, I'm the face of it. <laughs> I'm the face of PFAS. Lesh and her husband ran an inn at what's basically the gateway to the Glacier Bay National Park where they served patrons fresh food from their garden. She said discovering the water and soil on their property is contaminated was devastating. We moved there for everything to be pristine, the organic garden, and everything is now polluted. Senator Jesse Keel represents Gustavus. He says the state's regulatory agency, the Department of Environmental Conservation, doesn't do enough to protect Alaskans from PFAS. The problem of these PFAS chemicals, these are forever chemicals. They don't break down, they don't go away, and they are in Alaskans' drinking water. He says his bill would do the bare minimum to protect Alaskans' drinking water and ensure the toxic firefighting foams aren't widely used in the state any longer. He and Representative Sarah Hannon say there's money to enact their legislation in a federal infrastructure bill. The state's Department of Environmental Conservation raised a number of concerns about the legislation. DEC once regulated PFAS to higher standards, but rolled them back following political pressure. Tiffany Larson directs the Division of Spill Prevention and Response at DEC. She says the state defers to the federal government, specifically the Environmental Protection Agency, on the question of PFAS. DEC is saying we will follow EPA when they come out with new new, um, drinking water standards. Um, because they, they, they have the resources and have been able to invest that sort of um, effort into into that. But Representative Hannon says the federal government isn't moving fast enough. We should not and cannot afford for our health to wait for the federal action to clean this up. It would be difficult to pass the bills in the remaining hours of the legislative session. And if they don't pass, legislators say they will try again next year. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Claire Strempel. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News.